In the next few minutes, you're going to hear how to answer the question, how do a boy and a boy have sex when your seven-year-old asks? And welcome back to Sitting in a Car. I'm Sarah Sprout and I sit in a car each week answering a question to help you raise your confident and caring young person who respects themselves and the people around them. So let's go through the question in detail before we get to the answer because I want you to have the same detail. So the whole question reads, um, I have a question for your car topics. If a seven-year-old, uh, if a seven-year-old asks mum, if a boy and a girl have sex by putting a penis in a vagina, how do a boy and a boy have sex? So the answer to this question comes from the growth pillar of the evolved family method. The growth pillar shows you how to talk about every sensitive topic under the sun to kids of any age in a way that supports open conversations that nurture connections. So what you might do if you have this question is naturally stay silent because you're not exactly sure what to do. Maybe you ask around to your friends for their advice and probably the advice would be not to talk about it. I've heard other parents say that when something like this comes up, most of the families around them would say, oh goodness, no, don't say anything about that. That's totally inappropriate. What if they mention it at school? It makes sense. And I understand why you would act in that way, stay silent and ask for other people's advice because many of us weren't brought up with the advice that pleasure because this question is actually about pleasure um, is something that we can talk openly about particularly with kids there's something weird and taboo talking about sexual pleasure with children um, um, and that is why a conversation about how babies are made um, is sometimes the easiest conversation to have. It's the first conversation an adult might have with a young child. And what I've learned is when we do what feels right with questions like this, which are really difficult, um, and usually that's to stay silent, there's an effect that comes into play called the tongue-tied parent effect. It causes you to feel anxious and probably worried about getting the conversation wrong or saying too much. And this feeling makes absolute sense. We are naturally risk averse as humans. We are trying to stay safe. We don't want to do anything different that is feeling dangerous because we don't know what it's going to be like, right? So in this episode, I'm going to show you how to answer this question. How does a boy and boy have sex when your seven-year-old asks? Step number one. Have a broader conversation about what sex is. So before this conversation even comes up, how can we talk about sex in a broader way? Because really, it doesn't matter what sort of genitals people have. When they want to feel close and enjoy pleasure with someone else, they need to work out what each person wants to do. They work out if there are some things to do with their body that they would both like to share. Not every person with a vagina wants to put a penis in there. Not everyone with a penis wants to put it inside another person's body, whether that's inside a vagina or inside another opening, right? So we all get to choose. And oftentimes the way we feel like sharing our body will be different depending on the person that we are close to at that time. So the way a child might be able to understand that would be to if you draw a parallel between the fact that 
your child plays different games with different friends. Um, you could say, you have a friend who you like to play running games with. You have another friend you like to go swimming with. You have another friend that you like to play puzzles with. So when adults share their body with someone else, and it's someone naturally that we trust, then we feel attracted to them in some way. It's sort of like, it feels exciting. And that can sometimes lead to sharing our genitals with them. And we need to work out how we do that. We get to choose every single time. And it might be different because there are lots of different types of sex that people can have. And there are lots of different places on our body that feel nice. Sometimes we can rub parts of our body together with another person's parts of their body. And it's all sort of super interesting. We get to choose. It can be different every time. Later on in this episode, I'm going to show you how you can explain to your kid why adults often talk about sex as a penis in vagina. But for the moment, let's just pay attention to the fact that it's so much more than that. And if we start talking about it when our children are very small in a much broader way, then it's going to make it easier down the track to deal with questions like this. Step number two, have a go at listing off places on bodies that feel nice. You could do this with your children, if you like, as an answer to this question. You could even draw a picture about it. Let's write a list um, of all the places on our body that feel nice. So you could say, you know, my mouth feels nice when I eat crunchy carrots or suck a lollipop. My hands feel nice when they're touching lovely soft fabrics or smooth surfaces or the warmth of a fire when we feel the warmth of a fire. My brain enjoys solving puzzles. My bum enjoys sitting on warm sand or swimming in a cool pool. And you can say to your kid, your job as you grow is to discover the parts of your body that feel good now. And then maybe new parts that feel good as you grow older. All sorts of people have sex with their hands, with their genitals, with their bums, with their mouths, even with their eyes, because they like to look at things when they're having sex. Some people have sex by listening to wonderful sounds with their ears or smelling delicious smells, right? So we're giving our kid this broader understanding of this. So you can finish up by saying, sex is absolutely not just a penis and vagina being together. Lots of people like to do it that way. It's probably the most common sort, maybe, that people talk about, particularly with children, because it's the, also the most common way to make a new human, right? But it's definitely not the only way um, to have sex. Step number three. Remember that every child is different. Many kids might never ask this question. Your kid may never ask this question. So that means that if you have a kid that is asking this question, um, they are looking for a level of detail that other families are unlikely to talk about. And that also means that you might feel a little unsure about this sort of conversation. And that's exactly right. Of course you would feel unsure. I mean, Sometimes kids can be high-level answer kids. They can be happy with high-level answers like the last two points. And at the same time, you might have a kid who is not okay with that way of speaking. 
In cases like that, where you have a child that is really pushing you for more detail, you have two points of focus. The first point is your own emotions. And the second one is what's most important to you. So the first one, your own emotions. How comfortable are you with other families thinking that you are doing this part of parenting wrong? Now, anyone who's listened to sitting in a car for any length of time know my condom story. I'll tell it to you again quickly here. Walking home from school with the kid. Saw a used condom on the road. My kid said to her friend, look, there's a used condom. That's disgusting. Her friend said, what's a condom? And that led to a conversation about what a condom was between the two of them. And then a visit from that kid's parent the following day telling us that that was not appropriate for our kid to tell her about a condom. And her that parent's response was fair enough. But what I know for sure is that conversations about condoms were appropriate in our family. That was our contraceptive method of choice. Um, if other families don't use condoms, then it doesn't make sense maybe, or it's not as easy to talk about them naturally. It doesn't come up in conversation. The kids don't see them in the bedside locker. So that parent's response, it made sense. And her emotions were valid. But that conversation was important for our family. And taking a position like that, choosing to have a conversation with my kid, forced me to confront the worries of being rejected or abandoned by the tribe or community of parents that I was part of. And it takes skill to be able to sit with those emotions and choose what's best for our kid. We learn all those skills inside the Evolve School. And when you come to join me, if that's part of what you plan to do, you will learn that too. The second part to think about when a child asks a question like this, that may not be usual for children to ask that level of detail, is to think about what's more important to you. Is feeling safe more important? In which case you would take the path of less information for your child or is speaking up in detail with your kid more important and if you do speak up in more detail you can give your kid the context that helps them know the possible consequences of sharing this information with others for example that would look like saying to your kid your brain is awesome you're asking questions that other kids might not ask and that means that other parents probably don't think that kids should talk about this sort of thing, this sort of topic that we're talking about it. But the reason why I'm talking to you about it is because when you and I have these conversations, it might feel so interesting that you want to go and tell your friends everything we're learning together. And that makes sense why you would want to do that. But here's something you need to know. I've heard stories that some adults might think that what you know isn't right for their kids to know. And that's okay. They're allowed to think that. But I think that something different. Now, if those parents get annoyed, I will take care of all that. You don't have to worry about it. It's not a kid's problem. It's an adult problem. But I do want you to have the full picture. So you've just learned how to answer the question when your seven-year-old asks, how do a boy and a boy have sex? But this information doesn't do you any good if you don't have the skills to deal with other people's emotions when they get affected or triggered by it. 
Now, we go into a huge amount of detail on those skills and how to sit with other people's frustrations in the kindness pillar of the Evolved Family Method. So if you would like to learn the complete method that helps parents and other caring adults have sensitive conversations with kids of all ages in a way that builds deeper connections, and meanwhile having the skills to deal with the anxiety or worries or frustrations of the parents around you, then click the link somewhere around this episode and leave me your details. And that way I can let you know the next time the Evolve School opens. And that's sitting in the car for another week, where I've answered a question to help you raise your confident and caring young person who respects themselves and the people around them. Bye for now.